Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm your host, as every Thursday, Mark Garrett Hayes. And this is the podcast, in case it's your first time here, for training business owners, training business people, people who want to start to grow and to scale their training business. And every single week, we either have a guest on the show or it's a one-to-one episode, just you and I. This week, it's a guest episode. So we have someone called Lisa Hughes on the show. She's speaking to us from Dublin. I happen to be in London this week in a hotel room recording this episode. And Lisa's going to talk to us about how she is currently growing her training business brand. And she has a background in coaching and also in mindfulness. And she also, number three, works as an associate trainer. And that's something that many of you can resonate with because it's a great way to get your legs or skills early on in your training business career. This is episode 45 of the podcast. You're very welcome this week. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. So before the music, I said that today's guest is Lisa Hughes. And this is quite a long and in-depth conversation with Lisa today. Uh, she works as an associate trainer, which is a trainer who is part of the faculty of another one or more training companies. But Lisa also has her own direct clients. And I think that's very interesting for you out there because you might be leaving a job or a job and about to embark on a training career. And Lisa is someone who has both her own clients, direct clients, let's call them that, but she also has clients of other clients. In other words, she works as a hired trainer or associate trainer as part of the training faculty or team of other training organizations. And she'll go into some of the benefits of doing that. So without further ado, let's get talking to Lisa. Lisa, hi, and welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. So you're based in Dublin, in Ireland. And uh, of course, Dublin is the EMEA headquarters for many significant US corporations, so a huge business uh, area. How is business going for you in 2019? Uh, business going really well in 2019. There's a lot of investment in people now, much more so, I think, than we had a lull uh, in around kind of uh, business was a little bit more difficult maybe from 2013-14 recession time where people were pulling back but now there's like Dublin in particular uh, the market is really strong so there's a, a great demand to attract retain and grow good people and that requires training and investment so that's good news for us. I know no um no kind of danger from Brexit just yet. No kind of uh, adverse signs. Dare I say the word Brexit? Well, oh, oh, the dreaded Brexit. Um, it Brexit is one of those funny things. There's nervousness about it, particularly you know. There's still a lot of companies in Ireland with a lot of business in the UK. It's our natural trading partner. Um, however, we have really benefited from Brexit in some other. Uh, ways because we've got a lot of financial institutions in particular uh, relocating their headquarters over to Dublin into our IFSC. So there's very much a wait and see kind of aspect to it, some nervousness, a lot of planning for it. Uh, but equally, it's created a great deal of demand on people in Dublin. And that means that uh, the bar has been set really high in terms of talent growth and development. So what helped you, uh, your decision to start a training business and, and how long are you in that business to date? So this is kind of a meandering story in some ways. Um, I worked in uh, corporate Ireland for more years than I would care to share, um, but ran teams in global multinationals, um, uh, Aircom and O2 Telefonica, and uh, really got to the stage of being quite senior in some of those organizations and then realizing I was much more interested in people than I was in the technology or the software. Um, and also being at that stage of kind of not midlife crisis as such, but having having come to to a place of, of having ticked a lot of boxes um, and work being good and rewarding, but not necessarily meaningful. 
Um, and so for me, it was because I was in O2 Telefonica and there was a lot of training and development that I, I really started to find that I was enjoying facilitation, training and growing people. And knowing that, that was the decision that I, the, the, the kind of direction that I wanted to take it in. So I left in 2009 and did my uh, executive coaching qualification, my uh, emotional intelligence stuff. Uh, and I was running a startup to allow me some flexibility, both with family um, but also I started lecturing at night uh, and doing pro bono work. Um, and it was less about, and I think this is really interesting, it's less about I'm going to be a trainer and much more about um, following my nose and my curiosity about things that I was interested in and opportunities that came up and saying, I'm going to give that a go. And it, it brought me on this kind of almost scavenger hunt, treasure hunt to this this career that uh, that has been that I haven't necessarily carved out as such. And I think this is one of the challenges in terms of being a trainer is, is that it isn't terribly formulaic, but that I've, I've happened upon this kind of collection of things that I do that I just absolutely love doing. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be, to be making a life and a career out of it. So it really has been more about following the things that I'm interested in and gathering skills along the way and listening to those that I serve. And I'm just thinking of the experiences you have, because I know for a fact that people listening to this, or at least some of them, are either in the process of making the jump from a job, J-O-B, or are someone, people who've done this already. And thinking of your experiences, which experiences as uh, corporate marketing manager or head of business development, which you were previously, which of those experiences do you feel gave you transferable skills and put you in a position where you felt, yeah, I can do this. I can actually start my own training business. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's two kind of pieces to it. The first is, is kind of from a marketing perspective, uh, marketing is communications. So that's where I started really in terms of training was around communication skills. So when you're marketing to consumers, um, that is really about having conversations with people that are meaningful and connect people to experiences. True. So that's that's quite transferable in terms of you know having conversations with your people. Strangely enough, um, and so I started. My entry point was really around um, you know marketing as a, a, as a, I started training in marketing, um, and then I expanded out marketing in terms of of effective communication skills. So it's really. I allowed my previous background to become a platform upon which that I could move out from. So I think it's really important that if you spend a long time and you're quite successful in a field, you know, leverage it. Don't ignore it and say, oh, no, I don't do that anymore. I'm a coach now or I'm a trainer now. Well, actually, you can train in the things that you did really well. And it allows people to, to see you in the same arena but with a different perspective. Yeah, it's a good point. You don't have to jump off the bridge. You, you can simply segue or kind of step up into something else. Yeah, exactly. You just kind of expand from from your from your your core competency. You know, you just expand that out a little bit. And then, obviously, the the business development piece for me was was that's really about building relationships with people and building a network and and having different kinds of conversations with them. So I'm that was definitely something that that stood to me. It takes a while to describe yourself in a different way, I think. Um, and so when you introduce yourself to people, it's it's uh, it's about how you frame yourself in that context so for me when I when I meet people now rather than talking about what my my title is or the way that I used to you know I'll say I I inspire and enable people to do great work and that allows for a conversation then to unfold in terms of what people's challenges are and where they need to go and and if I can support them in that or if I know someone else who can support them in that because business development is is really about creating relationships for people understanding their needs and their challenges and then seeing if there's any way that you can help them to plug those gaps, whether it's you or someone else. Um, and I think that's really stood to me in terms of, of building a, a good client base, clients that come back time and time again, um, because I don't, uh, it isn't that I'm trying to sell them something in the sense of it, here's a package and it's take it or leave it. It really is much more about, well, well tell me more about that. And what's the problem? Where's your outcome? And, hmm. 
what are the what are the the elements that you're looking for here and is there something that i could put together is there someone i know or is there a recommendation right so you're you're leveraging the power of your network which is obviously a thing to do so you made a good point there it's not necessary to break completely from past experience or a current role, even if you're unhappy with it, um, there is always something to take with you. And of course, the power of your network is a great basis from which to start building a training business. Absolutely. And yours is called Arena Coaching. Um, so you deliver team coaching, leadership programs, etc. That, that's my my language. Your, uh, my, what's your description of what you do? So that that is my description is, is I, I inspire and enable people to do great work. I think everybody deserves great work. You know, I, I think it's, you know, we spend at least 40 hours a week at work. It's a huge part of our lives. It can be, it can create huge meaning and impact. And, and yet generally when you meet people and talk to them about their roles, they're pretty meh about the whole thing, you know, <laughs> the technical term uh, that we use, Mark. Meh. Uh, so th- th- we're, they're generally speaking not very engaged. Um, and so whether that's as an individual, how do I improve my performance or how do I find the career that's right for me? It, how do I inspire, engage my team? How do I motivate people towards goals? And how do I need people uh, and my business forward? Um, I think everybody desi- it deserves uh, really great work. And the arena piece came from the man in the arena quote. So that's the, um, the Theodore Roosevelt quote, quote about it's not the critic that counts. It's not the man who says we're the doer of deeds and all that. So it's about if you want to get into the arena, well, firstly, are you in the arena? Secondly, do you want to get into the arena? When you're in there, can you perform at your very best and give, you know, strive valiantly in a noble cause, as Theodore Roosevelt says, and and you're going to fall down. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, more sure than it. If you're in the arena, you're going to get your ass kicked. Um, so we look to prevent that, but we also look to give you skills and build resilience to be able to get back up and keep on rocking because that's the most important thing is, is we're paying, we're playing the infinite game. We're not playing the finite game. It's not about the battles. True. If, if we're going to coach people and develop leadership in them, we obviously have to be someone who exemplifies or uh, personifies that, that particular quality. Do, do you find that um, that's a tricky one when, you know, you, you come across clients whose teams or people have maybe an attitude problem and were brought in as coaches to sort of turn that around? Because some people have said to me they're very clear about the kinds of work which for them is not something they can do and therefore they have a kind of a code which says, uh, no, not, not for me. It's, this is something I can't help or fix. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I would be definitely one of those believers in that there are some people who are not coachable in the sense that they're not open to that. And you'd be wasting people's time and money. That's not what I'm in the business of doing. So I don't do that. So I do chemistry checks with every individual that if I'm going for coaching with them. Um, I'm I'm really clear about if I'm, I'm putting together a training program or a team coaching program or a leadership program about what the outcomes are and meeting not just with HR people who are generally the buyers of these kinds of things, but also the leader of the team themselves. Um, yeah, I like that term, uh, chemistry check. L- let's expand on that for a second. So the chemistry check, I'd, I do free of charge and it's generally speaking 30 minutes and I meet with somebody, at, if, if I take an individual, for example, um, people come to coaching or people are sent to coaching, which is really what you're talking about, uh, because something needs to change, right? People, generally speaking, don't come to coaching because they want things to stay the same. So yeah, good either, point, good point. Yeah, your manager or somebody has sent you for coaching and, and sometimes people will turn up and say, oh, you know, apparently I need, to, I need to be more empathic or I need to improve my communication skills or so-and-so says I need to do this and so-and-so says I need to do that. Um, and it gives me a chance to say, well, you know, what do you want to edit? What's, what's your agenda here? What would be really good for you? What would, you know, is, what do you want to be different at the end of the coaching? Because, you know, I, I hear you talking about other people and that's what I call coaching the ghost. So I can't coach the HR person and I can't coach your manager and I can't coach your team and everything is wrong with everybody else. They're not in the room. I can only coach you. So if there's nothing that you want to change as a result of coming to coaching, then there's no point in coaching. And sometimes you get people who are like, oh, well, you know, yeah, and I do that. And I, and I do do that. And I do ask questions and I do grow my people and I do coach. And you know from the brief that you've gotten from somebody else that that's actually not the case. But they're not open to it. And if they're not open to seeing that there's, there's something that needs to change and something that needs to be different or they can improve, 
there's no point in having that conversation. Yeah, so, so training, uh, training is aptitude and coaching is really kind of attitude or altitude, some people say. Um, do, you, do, you, do you find a distinction between the two? Because sometimes people use those terms uh, interchangeably, whereas actually they're two different approaches completely. Yeah. So for me, I mean, training is about knowledge transfer, right? It's where someone has, you know, a, a gap or is looking to to learn some content. Um, and coaching is really then about how do I apply that and how does that show up and how do I kind of weave that into how do I uh, how do I operate in the world? So for me, training is there's kind of knowing, doing and being right. So training is about knowing. Um, and uh, coaching is about doing and being. So if I know this, so training will also kind of overflows into the doing. If I know this, then I can do this. It's that old Maya Angelou quote, isn't it? If you know better, you can do better, right? So that's the hope with training. So we give you some more knowledge in order that you can do things differently. But with coaching, what we're, we're trying to do is, is okay, here, what are you doing? And now can we bring that into your way of being? How do we embed that and sustain it? So for me, my approach to training is always very facilitative in the sense of saying um, I, I absolutely do skills and knowledge stuff, but and I do it, I, I try to do that in a way where to have a facilitated approach in the sense of saying, well, what's the gap here and why would this be useful and what would we do with that and how would that show up and then how would how would that how would we sustain that in terms of behaviourally going forward? So they're depending on what a client needs it may be more knowledge based it may be more knowing and doing and it may be more being so that's the kind of triangle that i look at you mentioned the magic word client there which brings me to the question how do your direct clients find you all kinds of different ways uh, generally speaking word of mouth is the is the is the is the most prolific way that people find me i think if you do good work then what will happen is um, you will you will be recommended by other people. Um, there is a piece around you know cultivating relationships and getting onto HR people's radar, so they will introduce you to people. So, for example, in the banks in in Ireland, the three or four big banks that we have, we'll have kind of panels of people that they use. And if if you build a relationship with the HR people, they will they will introduce you into the business per se. But the business is always the person who who then hires you. Um, and if you if you get into one of those organizations and you do good work with the team, then you'll be recommended onto another team. And that's how a lot of work has come my way. Um, you know, it, it starts small, you do a small piece for someone and then, you know, they recommend you on and, and it builds and it snowballs from there. Um, there is that the associate work does give you direct clients as well, because someone will, so for example, I do work with Irish Times training. We're doing some of the open programs, and like there'll be people who go on the open open programs, and two years later will will find me via you know Google, and um, and give me a call and say you know I was on this course and I have this thing and I have this challenge. You know, would you be interested in coming in and talking to me about it? Or I'm moving careers and I'd really like to uh, to get some advice about it. So generally speaking. Um, it is about doing good work, but it's also being where your clients are, right? So LinkedIn is another place where I'm in groups and I'll post things and um, uh, I will, uh, you know, send articles to people that I think would be interesting for them, not because I'm trying to kind of sell them anything particular, but because when you listen to people and you know what their their interests are and you understand their problems and you find something that might be of use to them, then that's that's just relationship. I have this kind of policy about this. I, I read Adam Grant's book, Givers and Takers. Yep. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. read it. I yep. know of that one. He, co he cooperated with uh, Sheryl Sandberg, didn't he, on some other book? Yeah, on Option B. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Mm. Yeah, about resilience. He, that's right. Great book. When yeah. She lost, yeah, she lost her husband. So it was, it was a great book. Um, but his his original book was called Givers and Takers, and he had done this longitudinal study on whether people who are givers, takers, or matchers, and how how successful they were over a period of time. And what was really interesting about it was was that uh, the most uh, financially successful people over over a longitudinal period of time were the givers, um, and the least financially successful people over a longitudinal period of time were the givers. <laughs> 
Yes, it was really interesting. So givers were at the top of the list, but they were also at the bottom of the list. And then matchers were next and takers were third because the matchers had this very kind of uh, developed sense of I give you this and you give it back and reciprocity and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so when they found out the takers weren't giving back, they kind of, you know, cut the knees out from under them and the takers didn't do well in the long term. But what I thought it was so interesting, this is where my policy comes from, is, is that the givers who were at the top of the tree always made sure that they that they met their own needs first and they had enough enough time to to do whatever it was that they really wanted to do and were were focused on. And then they gave without expectation, but they gave strategically. So they picked one or two things and they were um they were very focused on those two things, one or two things, but they didn't give in indiscriminately and they um didn't leave themselves short in terms of time so that's my policy on it is is that you know you give uh if people ring looking for coaching or looking for advice or you know wanting a cup of coffee which is generally speaking free advice or free free coffee then i'll go if i have time to do it i will go and do it and i will do it happily and expect nothing from it because my view of this is is that is just going to come back around at some other stage and if i'm waiting for something to come back from it like I, I have a friend who will very often do that and give free coaching, but will expect kind of, you know, contacts in return. Um, and, and that just doesn't sit with me. So if, if I give my time, I will give my time freely and happily and expect nothing better back from it other than I've done good work and good work will come back around. But I don't do it indiscriminately. Right. So some kind of strategy there behind that. Yeah. Okay. So let me re- let me reverse a moment because you said something quite interesting, uh, and I think it's worth rewinding, and that's that um, one of the approaches you take is to get some way, some way, get onto the panel of uh, training providers or coaching providers uh, with, say, let's say, a large bank or an insurance company or some kind of tech company, um, and then once you're inside the door, um, the person actually making the buying decision is the person to whom you're introduced. And that would be the, let's say, the head of sales or head of X. And that's the person with the power to say yes or no to you. But how do you actually get in the door onto the panel, first of all? In other words, how do you actually get that contact with HR and come to their attention? So it really is being, you know, where the HR people are and being interested. I mean, this is not hard because we're, we're training people, right? Being interested in the things that they're interested in. So CIPD, um, the HR training organization, the EMC European Mentoring Coaching uh, Council, uh, ICF, they all run events. They so you mean physically conferences. turning up to these events? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And speaking to people. That's good, know, because I, I, for a second I thought you're not one of these people, it doesn't sound like, who sits behind a keyboard, whacks things into LinkedIn, and then hopes and prays that something will phone up. It doesn't happen that way. God, no, no. No, it's personal connection. I mean, absolutely. Um because when when you meet people and you have conversations with them, you really get to understand what they're like and what their challenges are and what their problems are, and you can make um, a connection. and And you you follow up, and then you have coffee, and and you're looking for nothing in particular from them, right? You're not trying to sell them anything in particular. You're looking to build relationships. I mean, the the whole thing about networking that makes it so kind of cheesy and difficult for us is that it's that whole I'm you know I'm looking to get something out of you type of type of conversation whereas my experience of it is is you go in without an agenda whatsoever to find people who have common interests and things that that you share in common um you know that that will be the thing that will connect you best into the HR people um someone who if you you know, for for instance, for me, um, one of my one of the things that I, I'm really interested in is kind of this mind body connection. So I'm a meditator, have been since 2006. I'm a mindfulness teacher, um, and so how that shows up in terms of how we lead and how we train and our cultivation of executive presence, all of those kinds of things, is a real interest to me. So I go to those events that are associated with that. I go to general events as well, but that's, you know, when that's my kind of area of uh, real interest, then what happens is, is other people who are also interested in it are also there. And so you've got this, this connection, you've got something to talk about already. And then you just build on that. And it's really about kind of finding people 
who have common ground, um, whether they are in big banks or not, and they just have, you know, can be or can not be. But I think the more the more Machiavellian we are about these things, the more transparent it can actually be, you know. And it and so when we are very clear about where we want to play and the value that we bring and the interest that we have and we show up being open and curious and wanting to connect, then generally speaking, uh, my experience of it is, is that we will bring into our sphere things, opportunities that we may not have even anticipated. So the goal is not to actually explicitly sell to the network, but rather through the network to try and make that connection, get the commonality and see where it goes from there. Yeah, exactly. Because I think there's there's two there's two problems with selling to the network. The first is is if you're selling them something, then you have you have something that's already predefined, which may or may not suit their needs, right? So you may you may be trying to to put a square peg in a round hole. And the second thing is we all know when we're being sold to, and it's not a very pleasant experience. Whereas when we are being listened to, and when we are being understood, and when we are being you know that's being reflected back to us. Uh, by somebody who, t- who, who kind of gets us, um, then, then that's when we are, we as a networker are more likely to make those introductions. Right. So you mentioned going along to events, conferences, perhaps. Um, you, so you, you encounter all kinds of people, as do I. Um, do you quickly decide which kinds of organizations and people are not right for you? Are there things you look for that would tell you, you know, don't go there, not, not going to work? Um. So there is a great quote by a lady by the name of um, Glennon Doyle, uh, who's written a couple of books, and she talks about, you'll be too much for some people. Those aren't your people, right? So, um, and equally, you will be too little for some people. Those are equally not your people, right? So I think there's, there's, that, there's that whole kind of, there's the whole kind of piece. So um, I'm a big fan of the AMCC because there are some really good people in there and some people I've really connected with and I really like their attitude. There are other organizations that, that don't, their culture doesn't fit as well for me. Um, and so... It, it it is one of those things of, of kind of getting a sense an energetic sense of people um like i said the ke- the chemistry check piece comes to mind there's a chemistry check with an individual chemistry check with organizations there's been organizations where i've walked in the door and thought i don't think this is for me i don't think this is for me how did you know i'm always watching people so if i'm sitting in the reception area of being brought in to talk to somebody or invited in to speak to somebody um, and I'm watching people coming in and out with their head down and their face is very somber and they're dragging themselves in the door or there are conversations in corridors or there's whispering in corners I'm like "Mm, I'm not sure this this is a place for me sometimes you see it being you know writ on walls uh, people's values. I used to work in organizations where the values were frosted into the glass on meeting room walls uh, and nobody showed up with, you know, walking and talking those values. So there is there is a sense of, and, and that being said, like some of those could be large organizations, you, you can have pockets of really good teams, right? But there's, there is a, there is an an openness and an energy around companies that are wanting to grow and wanting to learn and wanting to succeed and wanting their people to do great work as opposed to wanting to get more out of less. Right. And you mentioned the word succeed there. Have there been products or programs which haven't succeeded? You know, things we've all tried but just didn't somehow click for you? Yeah, so I mean, I mentioned I was a meditator and a mindfulness teacher. Um, and I think it's a question of, and this comes back to, you know, kind of what what are the best mistakes that you've made in terms of um, what have you learned most from? Um, so when I first qualified as a mindfulness teacher, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do was my qualification in mindfulness is uh, is my my own background is MBSR, which sounds like something that you would catch in a hospital, actually. To be honest, MBSR. What does that MBSR, stand for? Which is my yeah, mindfulness based stress reduction. Okay. So you can see already the problematic kind of elements of packaging that in a training Even the sound of it, yeah, it sounds stressful. It's <laughs> clinical beyond degree. Well, yeah. I'm not stressed. What do you mean, stress? I'm not stressed. Um, so MBSR just doesn't work in 
in a corporate environment because there's a number of problems with it. One is that it's an eight-week training for two and a half hours for eight weeks. You, you, sometimes you get you can't get people for an hour or mind two and a half hours uh, in a day. Um, it's also not connected to what are my business outcomes? What is this actually going to give me other than people who are more mindful? Um, and what does that mean and what would it look like? So there's a huge education curve in terms of understanding the value of something like MBSR in the marketplace. And then when I when I repackaged that particular um, training to take account of the business outcomes that people were looking for. So, so what are people's challenges? Yes, they're stressed, but actually what, what, what they're looking for is, is a greater degree of clarity and focus uh, and ability to be able to be present with their people and, and get work done. And so I renamed it, repackaged it, changed it up to keep the essence of what the training was, but to connect it into business outcomes so people could understand why they were doing it um, and to, to make the training itself more accessible. Okay, so how did you do that? I'm just curious. So I took the MBSR training in the curriculum, broke it down into various different modules, and then had conversations with people who were interested in mindfulness, but not in MBSR and saying, yeah, I could see the value of mindfulness in the workplace. We are changing rapidly. We need greater flexibility. We need greater agility. We need our attention is under siege between technology and all of the things that we need to do uh, in the fast-paced environment that we're in. So attention, yes. Focus, yes. Clarity, yes. Uh, Decision-making, all of those things. So I started talking to them about what are the kinds of issues and challenges and outcomes that you're looking for, and then mapped the mindfulness, most relevant mindfulness piece and and wove in some training elements to it uh, to create something that I call insightful leadership. Okay. So insight, people get, they understand that. Uh, and there's there's four kind of building blocks to it. There's, you know, there's focus and clarity and there's people and then there's, um, there's, so there's three kinds of focus, if you like. There's, inner focus, other focus, and outer focus, and, and how you cultivate those things in order to deliver greater clarity. I like that, yeah. Greater decision-making and your ability to be able to stay present with people. So that is is relevant, and it is um, meaningful, and it delivers outcomes that people are looking for. But that took me about two years to get to that. So, and that was, it was just a journey with other people. And that's one of the things that, for instance, the associate training piece can be really useful for, because sometimes, and you know this really well, Marcus, is that when you're on your own as a trainer, it's a, it's kind of a lifestyle choice, but it can be, it can be challenging around your own creativity and your perspective um, and other people's ideas and having other people to talk to and bounce things off can be really useful. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's having a trainer network around you, people who are in the same shoes as you. And because it's kind of a lonely or solo job, sometimes we don't have the chance to um, work alongside people, our peers, other trainers. So I always value uh, opportunities to have some kind of connection with other trainers. If I'm not in the same room as them, and I've only a couple of times last year co-facilitated with uh, another trainer, I'm also trying to connect with them online and, and you know rack their brains, see what they've done well. So you've, you've kind of followed nicely into the next part, which is the fact that um, we've talked about your direct work, your direct clients. Now we're talking about your associate work, which is for some people who may not be familiar with that term. It's literally you are part of the faculty of another training organization. You are one of the external trainers of that organization. So what do you like about that part of the training business? Yeah, uh, what I like about it is working with other people and being part of a faculty and having that connection into community. I think that's 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 really important for me. Uh, the other thing I, I think is, is that, you know, like any skill that you have or you want to develop, ultimately, I am only as good a trainer or a facilitator as uh, the work I do on myself. 
Um, and so other people's ideas and perspectives, um, you know, for example, if you want to be a concert pianist or, or you want to be an athlete, you train every single day, you practice your skills every single day. Um, and that's what the associate piece gives me, I think, is, is a community of being able to access other people who are also training. Um, I'm part of Positive Success Group, which has the quality coaching circle. So that gives us an opportunity to look at what's coming down the line. There's a CPD program in that. Um, and that I find that really useful and I find that community really useful of other coaches and facilitators. Um, there's also, obviously, with, with something like Irish Times Training, they're looking for what does the market want and what, what are their clients asking them for and they're building out the sales element of it. So you, um, I will very often go to sales meeting, sales meeting with those guys to talk about content, et cetera. But you can, you can see the kinds of companies that they're looking for and the kinds of asks that they're getting from clients. So that helps me in terms of building out product and building out content and, and recognizing market trends. So I think that's very useful as well. That's good, actually. So you get to be invited along to these conversations and, and hear firsthand what the client's asking for, the language they're using, and maybe the validation of those needs. Um, so you're actually in the room as the client's speaking. You're not just brought in when the training has been designed and needs to be uh, given. No, because one of the things that the um, I, I do quite a lot of the bespoke programs with, with Irish Times training. So very often I'll, I'll put together the proposal with the uh, with the the business relationship manager and then if it if it comes down to shortlist and there's a meeting required i'll go and, and meet the client and talk them through the content um and and develop and tweak it and refine it based on their needs and so that's a that's a really useful piece because obviously you know there's commonality in terms of the problems and challenges that clients are facing so if you can do it for one client you can you can then take those learnings and apply it right across the piece to your own content so it's it's a useful in to have, and that's something that someone may not have when they come out of a job um, and and decide to go into training. That unless they have these experiences, they've no kind of yardstick against which to measure their activity. They've no idea what it's like to be in a training business, to meet clients of a training business, and to be able to design a program for clients of a training business. So that work or that exposure to other people's clients is really, really invaluable, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a huge stepping stone. Definitely one of the key things that I did was is that when, so when I uh, left O2 and then I was running a startup for a while and that gave me flexibility, I did kind of four days and then three days and, and was lecturing and doing pro bono work and also this associate training work. Um, on an ad hoc basis and then when I wanted to go full-time then it was a conversation with the associate with with the the training company to say to them look I do good work here on these things you you know that I can deliver I also do these things I, I see you have some programs on that will you give me a, will you give me a go on those things as well will you take a chance on me um, and and that's you know that was the kind of the, the bread and butter that gave me steady enough i i I don't want to say it it was it was it was it was enough for me to tip over and say okay that's going to be enough to keep me going for a while and i can also develop my own business and i can learn from those as i as i go go along so even though it may not be the most lucrative business in the short term it is a wonderful training ground in terms of developing and developing your own style and developing your own content being able to differentiate yourself because you've got a benchmark Hmm. So if you had, um, well, let's say you had the opportunity to go back in time and speak to yourself, you're going to borrow my time machine now and go back to, let's say, I don't know, 2012, what, what advice would you give yourself in your first year of operation? So there's a couple of things that I think that I would say. The first is I remember being very stressed for the first year or two that I was wondering where the business was going to come from. And yet here I am kind of seven or eight years later. Um, and, and the reality of it is, so I, I would say, firstly, don't worry quite so much uh, because I think that scattered my energy. I, I would say be more focused in terms of the kinds of work that you would like to get um, and go after that. Uh, and the other thing that I would say is uh, be really clear about why you're different because that's what will get you the really good projects. What is it about you that means that you're different from other trainers 
Um, and so because there is a tendency, particularly when we start, to want to be all things to all people. Yeah, true, very true. And yeah, so if you turn up and you're wanting to be whatever it is the client wants you to be, generally speaking, that's not going to be your best work. Whereas if you turn up and do something that is that is entirely yours in the sense of you deliver it in your own style as opposed to an in your own way um, and you do good work, that will be the thing that gets you the referrals and the recommendations and the word of mouth and will create relationship with people. So where are you going to take your training business next? Uh, let's say three, four years from now, which is a long time. How will you know when you get there? What will it look like to you? Yes, yeah, so that's really interesting. I used to do, um, you know, yearly goals and uh, I was really very specific about them and I was very big fan of kind of the Tony Robbins school of uh, have a vision board and all that good stuff. And Did that work well, for you, have a vision well, board? So here's the thing. I think it definitely it definitely was motivating and it was really helpful to think about where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do. And it's kind of evolved for me into what is my intention as opposed to what are my goals? Does that make sense? Uh, it makes sense to me. Let's expand that in case someone's struggling with that idea. <laughs> So goals are really very specific about I want to make 100 grand or I want to, you know, get five clients or I want to do those kinds of things. Um, and so intention is really more general, uh, but it's quite, for me anyway, it, it gives me greater focus. So what I have a tendency to do now is to look back over the year, and I'm doing it at the moment because I'm at my half yearly point of kind of saying, what, what was really good work? What was really good work that I really enjoyed uh, that I was rewarded for. Because that's, that's my thing is I want to do interesting, challenging, rewarding work, rewarding on lots of different levels. So I look back over the year and I say, what have I really enjoyed? Uh, where have I really added value? Where do I think I've, I've really served the client well? Um, and what would I like to do more of? So my intention is always about, here's what I do right now. Here's what I really like about that. And here's what I'd like to do more of. And so what I would like to do more of is I would like to do more of, um, I've just joined the faculty in with Positive Success Group on their coaching diploma um, um, on coaching with neuroscience. And that's something that I'm fascinated with. So I'd like to do more coaching with neuroscience. I would like to do more facilitation with neuroscience and start to weave in, start to use the science as a way to weave in kind of more of the presence and the mindfulness and the wisdom and the insight kind of piece. Because the more that um, information becomes commoditized, the less value I think there is in training in some respects, unless training is uh, is elevated to include the kind of almost intangible part of it. So you can teach someone how to do a performance review conversation. You can give them the biomechanics of that and you can give them the steps and you can give them words to uh, to deliver those performance-based conversations. But until you give them the skills to be able to energetically show up, mm -hmm. that's still not going to go well. Unless they understand, you know, the the kind of the neuroscience element of threat and reward, and it is it is humans dealing with humans. And yes, there is structure and framework, and there is also art and science in the delivery of that. Um, and so that gap, I think, in between training and coaching, fascinates me. And that's my intention is to take it in that direction. Okay. And um, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you a coaching question. <laughs> which is, I love coaching questions. <laughs> which, which, so which one thing, which one thing, if executed brilliantly by you, would get you to the next level of your training business? Uh, there's no question in my mind. It's about me doing the work on me because I am my business. So we get, I think, and one of the things that I used to do is to get really uh, focused on, I need this qualification and I need to be able to do this thing and to do that thing. And in actual fact, if you are, we are, you are your product, right? So unless I am living and breathing and walking and talking and operating from my own values and from my own beliefs in, in, absolutely at the center of my being and in alignment with what I want 
then there's no point. That's the one thing, which is everything, right? If executed brilliantly. Uh, so I continue to work on myself. I've done a number of trainings this year. I have a number of trainings uh, uh, put in already in the diary, in the calendar. Um, These are investments in yourself. Investments in myself, investments in my business, you know, to and to uh, expand it out. And some of them are adjacent and are, are very, some of them are directly training trainings that I can then deliver. Some of them are adjacent in terms of um, building up. So for instance, I did the uh, Finding Peace in a Frantic World at Mindfulness Training this year with Chris Cullen over in Oxford Mindfulness Centre. One, one more time, Finding? Finding Peace in a Frantic World. Okay, that's news to me. There you go. Um, uh, over in the Oxford Mindfulness Centre, I did that training so that that I can... In the UK. In the UK and I can take that and, and completely deliver that in its format or I can take it and, and weave it into my own stuff. I did uh, a yin yoga training, which was for me, was really about kind of coming into the body and executive presence and, and using the body as, as a kind of part of our own intelligence and, and how do we tap into that and become more connected with it. Um, and I went back and redid the coaching diploma that I had done 10 years ago to update it. So Lots of things going on, always reading, always learning, always growing. So you're, you're, you're quite conscious then about the, the need to, and I think that's something many trainers don't do, is that they're focused on the external world. They're focused on, you know, chasing the money, chasing clients, which is naturally the case. We're running training businesses after all, but it's, it's taking time to sharpen the saw and to invest in yourself. If I said to you, where can listeners find out more about you, um, be it on LinkedIn or your website, where would they go? Well, LinkedIn is probably the place that I'm most active. Um, that being said, uh, I'm not I'm not, I'm not hugely active. Uh, I because I'm I'm quite deliberate and conscious about the things that I put up, and I'm quite deliberate and conscious about the people that I connect with and the groups that I'm in. Because if I'm going to do something, I'm going to you know do it right as opposed to as you say, be a bit of a keyboard warrior and, and keep retweeting or reposting and, you know, saying great article, whatever. And if I do that, I, I genuinely mean that. Um, so LinkedIn is probably where, where I am most active. Uh, and my website is, uh, it is also a place that you can find me. I write for the blog on Irish Times uh, training as well. Um, and for Irish Life Health, I delivered their, their uh, introduction to mindfulness for their corporates. So I'm on their blog with a very specific focus on uh, focus and attention and clarity and decision making and those kinds of things as well. So those are the kinds of places they could find more about you. <laughs> okay. Well, look, Lisa, it's been wonderful having you on the program today. And I've got some of those links. You mentioned EMCC, the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. You mentioned Positive Success Group, which is a it's a company you're an associate for. Yeah. And they, uh, they have the coaching with neuroscience diploma and advanced uh, diploma. Um, and they also do corporate work as well. So there's lots of stuff going on in there too. Okay, so no shortage of work as far as you're concerned right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is there's no shortage of work, but it's it's the good work, right? What does good work look like? And I think I think that's the question we all have to answer for ourselves. Um, there is a piece around kind of saying any work is good work, right? So the, those are the decisions that we need to make. Is it's like, what good work mean for me? Yeah, it's something you've got to live with, haven't you? And uh, if it's not something that uh, you feel good about, and that's often why people leave uh, full-time work in the first place to become independent consultants and trainers, what's the point of repeating that mistake? If, if it's something that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, where you come home uh, knackered or, or exhausted, then what's the point? It's just uh, another just paycheck for the sake of selling your soul. <laughs> That's exactly. We've got to break that cycle, right? Break the cycle. Yeah. Elise, it's been wonderful having you on the program. Thanks you so much too, for your Mark. time. I've really today. enjoyed it. Very insightful <laughs> questions. Thank you. Very Thank you. <laughs> there we go. I hope you enjoyed the episode today with Lisa Hughes. I really enjoyed the conversation. Lisa, if you're listening, thanks so much for giving your time and sharing your story and advice with our listeners here on the podcast. Um, so that episode is available. In fact, this episode's available, as all other episodes are available on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Spotify. 
And it's an episode, the kind of format which I've had many times in the past. And the reason I've done this is because some of you have contacted me and said, we love the trainer's stories. We love hearing from people who've done the kind of thing I want to do or would like to do, the kind of thing I'm considering doing. And that kind of uh, warts and all story of people sharing their actual journey and the mistakes they've made and the lessons they've had along the way, that's the kind of thing we want to hear more about. So with that in mind, can I ask you to keep your emails coming to me to markghays at gmail.com. You could, for example, wish to be a guest on the show, which is fantastic. On the other hand, you might have ideas as to the kinds of content that will help you and our fellows, our peers out there in the training business community. There are people out there who've got all kinds of challenges. And guess what? I've had them too, and you more than likely have them too. So let's get some ideas together as to the kinds of topics and speakers that we can have on the show who will help us to find solutions in the quickest and most cost-effective way. So they're just my thoughts, um, but I would welcome any kind of feedback you have on the show and the kinds of episodes which you think have helped you most and the kind of direction you can give me as to what you would like more of. If you've got time, may I also ask you to uh, to subscribe to the show on iTunes, but also to leave a rating if you find that the show has helped you in any way in your journey running a training business. So next week we have episode 46. I'm conscious of the fact that it's now, well, it's July 2019. And more than likely, it's holiday time for you and your family or loved ones. And if that's the case, let me say that I'm kind of jealous uh, wherever you are right now on a sun lounger, on a boat, on a plane, or coming back from somewhere nice. I hope you've had a wonderful time or that you're about to have a wonderful trip. But take this podcast with you because I'm here every single Thursday, irrespective of where I am in the world or whether I'm working, there will be an episode loaded, ready and locked for you to download and listen to. So thank you finally for your continued listenership and loyalty. It's been a pleasure, always is a pleasure. And I look forward to your company again next week, next Thursday. So until then, have a wonderful holiday or training business week. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.